from the moment the first man and woman disobeyed God and brought sin into the world, God set in motion his plan to redeem a fallen human race. For thousands of years, the world was separated from God by an impenetrable barrier of evil that condemned all mankind to an eternity of divine judgment where no one could escape. For thousands of years, men and women of faith prayed for deliverance, but died without seeing their prayer answered. And then at just the right moment in human history, God sent his light of grace to a dark world in the birth of a baby boy. This birth would be the single most important event that had ever happened on earth when heaven's light came down and the world changed forever. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, I want us to look to, to just look at and memorize one little verse of Scripture, which I think is the most important Scripture in the passage here. And then in just a few moments when I'm preaching, I'm going to ask you to tell me that verse again. It's Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. Now, if you, if you have your Bibles and you're willing and able, just stand for a moment as we look at this verse and, we, and we, we read it together and honor God's Word. And this is what it says. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now, let's say that together. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. One more time. And she will bring forth a son, and you will call his name For he will save his people from their sins. Amen. Heaven's light. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. We have heard it today. Lord, we have listened as you've spoken it, Lord, through your Holy Spirit. Lord, the... The person like myself who's opening their mouth and sharing it, we're not near as important as the one who said it in the beginning. Your your holy word is your word. And today I pray that your Holy Spirit will speak into our hearts and teach us something, Lord, that we need to know, especially in this dark world that can help you shine before others. Pray, I praise you, Lord that two, nearly 2,000 years ago she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for coming into the world. Thank you that your name is Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Please be seated. Heaven's light. Now, when we look into this passage of Scripture, Matthew gives us a little bit different detail than Luke. You know, Luke, Luke the physician, he was a researcher. And he researched and he wrote a, a huge... That's why his is the longest of the Gospels. I mean, he put in a whole lot of detail. But Matthew gives us a little bit different detail. He gives us how Joseph came to know that he was going to be the earthly father of the Son of God. In verse 1, the very first verse of Matthew introduces the main character in Jewish terms. I think there's something to be learned from this genealogy we see in Matthew. Let's take a look at it for just a moment. Verse 1. The book of the genealogy of 
Jesus Christ, son of David, the son of Abraham. Genealogies were very important to the Jewish people because genealogies defined who they were. Just think about that for a minute. The Jews were descendants of Abraham through Abraham's son Isaac and his grandson Jacob, whom God renamed Israel. So Jacob, or Israel, had 12 sons. And those sons became the beginning, the beginning of the 12 tribes of Israel. All their descendants became the 12 tribes of Israel. And each tribe, they knew who their originator was. They did. They knew which tribe they, to which tribe they belonged. And so these were, na- re- these were called the children of Israel. The children of Jacob or the children of Israel. Now God made certain promises to these different tribes. And one of those promises He made to King David uh, of the tribe of Judah. He made a promise to King David in 2 Samuel seven sixteen. Read it with me if you will. Ready? Let's get to the next one. Ready? And your house... And your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. That's a divine promise God made to David. It was a very significant promise. And God never breaks a promise. Let me ask you a question. How could any of these kings ever been, ever had an eternal throne? How could they ever have an eternal throne? I mean, uh, you know... God put David on a throne, but David died. Solomon died. I mean, they all died. But how could any king have an eternal throne? It could only happen through a very special king who would come in David's line. The Lord explained it through the, book of, through the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of His government and peace there will be no end. That was God's promise. God's promise to David and now God's promise to a future king after David. And here we go. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, this king's going to come in the line of David. To order it and establish it with justice and justice from that, from judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. The eternal king was coming. The Messiah. The mighty God. The everlasting Father. The Prince of Peace. That's his divine origin. And he will sit as the promised and rightful king of Israel in the line of King David. That's his human origin. Now look at the family line of Jesus from this genealogy in Matthew 1. And the important people who God used to bring his son into the world. Look at verses 2 through 6. Abraham begot Isaac. Isaac begot Jacob. Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. Judah begot Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez begot Hezron, and Hezron begot Ram. Ram begot Abinadab, and Abinadab begot Nashon, and Nashon begot Salmon, 
and Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab, but Boaz begot Obed by Ruth, Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David the king. David the king begot Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. So notice that this line is from the tribe of what, uh, which one of Jacob's sons? Did you get it? Which one of Jacob's sons do we see this genealogy? Judah. It came through Judah. And these are important people in the Bible, in the Old Testament. And these important people come down the line all the way through David and to the future king who is going to reign forever. And we know who that is. It's from the first verse of Matthew chapter 1. This is a genealogy of who? Jesus. Jesus. Notice these important people in Jesus' in Jesus uh, genealogy. Rahab, the woman who protected the children of Israel from the evil king of Jericho. God changed her heart. She was a harlot, a prostitute, but God changed her heart. And she protected his people and he protected her when the walls came tumbling down. Look at verse 6 through 8. Then Rahab had a son named Boaz, who married Ruth, and their son Obed had Jesse, and Jesse's son was King David. And then David the king begot Solomon. And that word begot, don't get confused by it, just means that in his line, sometimes it meant his son, sometimes it meant his grandson. But David the king begot Solomon, his son, by her who had been the wife of Uriah. And Solomon begot Rehoboam, and Rehoboam begot Abijah, and Abijah begot Asa, and Asa begot Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat begot Joram, and Joram begot Uzziah. Now notice from the marriage of David and Bathsheba. Remember Bathsheba? David the king was up on his palace, and he looked down and he saw the woman bathing Bathsheba. And he liked that. He was, you know, lust filled his heart. And he had his eyes on Bathsheba. And he said, I have to have her. But she's married. But it didn't matter. He, had to get, he, he brought her into his palace. And he slept with her, committed adultery with her. And then he had to get rid of her husband. Uriah sends him to the battle lines. Tells the commander, put him out there by himself and let you, know, and you retreat. And Uriah stood out there and tried to fight the whole army by himself. And, of course, he was killed. And uh, Nathan the prophet let, let David know of his sin and the baby died and that kind of thing. But then he, had, he married Bathsheba and he had another child. And this one was Solomon. Solomon. Then Solomon had a son named Rehoboam. And through his pride, through Rehoboam's pride... Rehoboam split the tribes of Israel. There were 12 tribes, he split them. And 10 tribes went north, and two tribes, 10 were in the north, and two were in the south of, of Palestine there. And the two in the south became known as Judah, and the 10 in the north became known as Israel. In the north, it became a place of idolatry as they chose Jeroboam and they chose a capital and built a temple there in Samaria and worshipped a golden calf. But in the south, the capital was Jerusalem. And that's where David was. And that's where this we find this genealogy. In Judah, in the south. And so, uh, through in Judah, the kings that Matthew listed, 
from that point. Abijah, Asa, Jehoshaphat, Joram, and Uzziah. These were rightful kings of Judah. And Uzziah was the king who died when Isaiah saw the, the vision of the Lord in the temple. Remember reading that in Isaiah 6? Look in verses 9 through 11. Uzziah begot Jotham. Jotham begot Ahaz. And Ahaz begot Hezekiah. Hezekiah begot Manasseh. Manasseh begot Ammon. Ammon begot Josiah. Josiah begot Jeconiah and his brothers about the time they were carried away to Babylon. I'm using English, the English pronunciation here, not the Hebrew. And if you think about these people, these are important people. Hezekiah. What a great king. I mean, for Hezekiah, God defeated, sent an angel down and destroyed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. For Hezekiah, he was going to die, and he turned his face to the wall and prayed. And God said, I'm going to give you 15 more years, Hezekiah. Because Hezekiah was a godly king. Hezekiah, this was a great man. But then after Hezekiah, it went downhill, and here comes Manasseh, his son. And Manasseh is one of the worst kings in, Israel, in, in Judah's history. Manasseh led the people to worship false gods. And then Ammon came, and he was a bad, bad king. And he led the nation in idolatry. They all practiced idolatry. Listen, folks, when your leaders practice idolatry, many of the people follow them. Not everybody. That happens today. We're in an idol-worshiping day in which we live, folks, and we've got leaders at the top worshiping false gods. Yes, we do. Forming their own religions around social things and leading people away from the one true God, embracing immorality, making laws that make immoral behavior legal. Folks, I don't care how many laws people pass, nothing's going to change God's law. God says there's things right and there's things wrong. These kings in Jesus' line led the people to, again, away from God. You know what it was going to take to bring people back to God? It's going to take the coming of the wonderful Counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And of course, we know He came the first time and not everybody followed Him and did the right thing. But when He comes again, it'll all change because He'll take over. I, don't want, I wouldn't want to be on the wrong side when Jesus comes again. I can tell you that right now. So here we have these people, Manasseh, terrible king, worshiping false gods, Amen, worshiping false gods. Then, but when Ammon died, Josiah came, uh, took the throne. And Josiah was about eight years old when he became the king. And Josiah grew up, and there his, old, his father's old idolatrous ways, he knew about those. And one day they were cleaning out the temple because they hadn't had a Passover sacrifice in a while. They had, uh, you know, like we see today, you know, uh, as uh, people, fewer, fewer, fewer and fewer Christian, uh, Christians are being found in our country. Well, that's the way it was in that country. There was, in Judah, fewer and fewer people were doing anything to really worship God. And all of a sudden, Josiah goes and they're cleaning out the temple. Can you imagine that? They're sweeping the dust out, knocking down the cobwebs in the temple of God. 
and they found a scroll, the book of Deuteronomy. And they, they read that, and all of a sudden Josiah had it read. And when they read it to the king, young King Josiah, he said, oh no, we have forsaken God. And Josiah instituted reforms and led his nation back to God. And oh, how I wish we had people doing that today, don't you? That if we could just have some people that would stand up and Christians and stand up. But we got people today, they don't, they don't even care about God. They don't care about going to church. They don't care about praying. They don't care about the Word of God. They're all about themselves today. And but Josiah turned his nation back. And it's my prayer that God will raise up some people from the White House down to the church house that will stand up and preach and teach the Word of God and say, America, get back to God. And that's what I've been praying today. I have been praying that for many for years. So then comes another one. Josiah leads the people back to God. But then down the line comes Jeconiah. Well, Jeconiah was so bad, there we go again. There we go, down, downward slide. A moral slide. Slide down into betrayal and idolatry. And who is it? Jeconiah. And let me tell you that Jeconiah was so bad, God made him a terrible promise. We see it in Jeremiah 22. The prophet Jeremiah said, God said through Jeremiah, O earth, 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 hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, write this man down as childless, a man who shall not prosper in his days, for none of his descendants shall prosper sitting on the throne of David and ruling any more in Judah. And that's exactly what happened. For after... Jeconiah led the nation down to idolatry. God allowed another bigger nation to come in and conquer them. And Babylon, led by Nebuchadnezzar, came in and conquered the nation of Judah and led all the people, carried almost all the people away into captivity in Babylon for 70 years. And Judah, in Jeconiah's line, Never had a king sit on the throne again. Because we see after they were brought you know, back, they never, they never restored that throne. Look at verses 12 through 16 in Matthew. And after they were brought to Babylon, Jeconiah begot Shealtiel, and Shealtiel begot Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel begot Abiud, and Abiud begot Eliakim, and Eliakim begot Azor, and Azor begot Zadok, and Zadok begot Hakim, and Hakim begot Eliud, and Eliud begot Eleazar, and Eleazar begot Methan, Methan begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. So, from this genealogy, we learn something about Jesus. That Jesus was born a Jew from the tribe of Judah in the family line of King David. And then notice something else kind of interesting. Verse 17. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. From David until the captivity in Babylon in Jeconiah's time is 14 generations. And from the captivity of, captivity of Babylon until the birth of Jesus are 14 generations 
generations. 14, 14, 14. Folks, God is not a God who acts at random. Everything God does follows a perfectly timed plan. If you ever study, some, study nature, I know one of my science teachers is here today. If you study nature, you will see an incredible symmetry in nature. It's really something, how God puts it all together. Everything God does follows a well-designed plan. So in the birth of Jesus, we see God's perfect timing. It was 14 generations from Abraham to David. It was 14 generations to the, from David to the deportation of Babylon. Then 14 generations from Babylon to the birth of Jesus. God's 14, 14, 14. Then God's plan of redemption unfolded in the birth of His only begotten Son. Folks, with God, everything He does follows a predetermined plan. And that's what Paul meant when he said, look with me at Galatians 4.4 and read it with me. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Paul said that Jesus was born in the fullness of time when God had fulfilled all those Old Testament promises he had desired to fulfill and he was ready to initiate a new covenant a new testament through faith in jesus his son jesus who was the son of god you see god sent forth his son and he was the son of man born of a woman and that's the truth which joseph heard from god as Joseph prepared to step into the greatest challenge, the greatest responsibility, and the greatest privilege of his life. Verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph... Son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And now our verse. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Folks, that's the gospel. There it is right there. We say that Jesus is the reason for the Christmas season. Well, this is why. Because number one, Jesus was born the Son of Man. You see, God's plan had to be perfect. For our salvation, God's plan had to be absolutely perfect. No other plan had worked. Nothing else had worked. Man couldn't get there. But man could not get through the evil barrier that separated him from God. He was too corrupt. It was a roller coaster throughout history, throughout the genealogy of Jesus. They're worshiping God, they're not worshiping God. They're worshiping God, they're not worshiping God. Something had to break through. It did when heaven's light came to earth. Jesus was born the Son of Man. He was born to a young Jewish virgin from Nazareth named Mary, who was probably only about 13 years old when Jesus was born. She was married to an older 
man named Joseph, and here she was betrothed. She and Joseph were probably betrothed when she was born or a little girl, arranged by their parents. When she became pregnant during the engagement period, Joseph, who loved her, and he had compassion for his young bride-to-be, he had the right to break that engagement by a legal divorce and demand that she be stoned for adultery. But that's not what happened. Because while he tried to work out a solution, and aren't we ones for always trying to work things out for ourselves, aren't we? And he was trying to work out a solution in his mind. The Holy Spirit, Spirit spoke loudly and clearly. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary for your wife. Go through with the wedding. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. See, Jesus grew inside Mary as the Son of Man. A normal baby. Now, he, he, was, no, he, was, just a, he was a human baby. I mean, just like babies today. He was, but he was anything but normal. He, he was a miracle. He would develop within Mary for nine months. Then he would be delivered by Mary, just as other babies are delivered. He would cry like every human baby. He would need a mother's milk like every human baby and a mother's uh, uh, and a father's uh, caress like any other baby. He would need diaper changes. They didn't have diapers, but they need uh, kind of diapers. Diaper changes like any other baby, but he would be human. He would be human, but he would be more than that. He was not just born of a young virgin girl. That was miraculous in itself. But he was born of God. Imagine that. So Jesus, secondly, was born the Son of God. Talk about a miracle. It's one thing to be born of a virgin, but for God to be born in human flesh? Wow! Two times we read that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. It was not Joseph which caused Mary to conceive a child. It was the Holy Spirit of God. He would be, Jesus would be both a child of heaven and a child of earth. And no baby has ever been that before or ever will be. Jesus was unique. He was the only God-man. That's why God made him the mediator between God and man. The God-man, Christ Jesus. In the story of Joseph, we see that Jesus, heaven's light, was the son of David and son of God. He was, as the son of David, he was human. The son of an earthly mother with flesh and blood, with emotions and needs. But as the Son of God, He was all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-eternal. You see, time and time again in the New Testament, we see Jesus in His human side and His divine side. We see Him weeping at the tomb of Lazarus. We see Him growing weary and having to go rest. We see Him hungry and thirsty. That's human. But then we also see Him as God, don't we? Because He healed diseases. He cast out devils. He raised the dead. And He even calmed storms. He had power over nature itself. Jesus had to be both Son of Man and Son of God so that He could lay down His life and die. And the Son of Man laid down His life and died on the cross to pay for our sins. The Son of God rose from the dead to give eternal life 
to all who will believe and receive Him as Savior. Anyone can die. We can die. We're going to die. All of us. Son of man. Sons and daughters of men. We're going to die. Jesus died. He had to be Son of man to die. God can't die. He's a spirit. But then, as Son of God, He raised Himself from the dead. And we can't do that. (laughs) No human being can do that, you see. That's why... It took Jesus, the Son of God and Son of Man, to save us. That's why they call the angels, they call His name Jesus, verse 21. And she will bring forth a son, and you will call His name, what? Jesus, for He will save His people from their sins. And all this was done, verse 22, so that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophets, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Then Joseph, what did Joseph do? Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife Mary and did not know her till she had... He did not sleep with her until she had brought forth her firstborn son. And he called... His name what? Jesus. Jesus. Joseph was called to name Mary's son Jesus. Yeshua in Hebrew. Yeshua. We say Joshua. Yeshua. Yeshua means Yahweh saved or saves. And just as Joshua led the children of Israel into the... Just as the Old Testament... Joshua, Yeshua led the children of Israel across the Jordan River to deliverance in the promised land. So our Lord Jesus, Yeshua, will lead us into His promised land, a place of eternal life and peace and blessing in His presence, in the presence of heaven's light, you see. Joseph had perhaps the most important job in history. To care for the Son of God. Wow. Joseph would be the man who would publicly announce the name of Jesus to the world. And so should we. We have been called, like Joseph, to carefully and intentionally present Jesus to the world as the Son of God, Yeshua, as Jesus. You see, when you say the name Jesus, it means God saved. God is our Savior. He is salvation. God is Savior in Jesus. We've been called to carefully take Jesus into this world. And that's why Jesus came from heaven and earth. To bring the light of God's presence into a dark world. To deliver all who would believe from the power of sin and the penalty of eternal judgment. Jesus came to earth as the Son of Man so He could live according to the law and identify with every human being who has fallen into temptation and sin. And Jesus did not sin, ever. He came as the Son of God so He could do something about it. Through faith in His cross and resurrection, Yahweh saves Jesus saves you. And today, just as then, heaven's light wants to shine into every heart in life, into every part of our life. 
He wants to bring God's light and eternal life into a world that's been corrupted by evil, just as it was in his genealogy in his past, in Joseph's past. Just as it was then, it is now. And today, just like then, Jesus is ready to shine his light into this world. And guess who he wants to use to do it? You and me. Jesus came as heaven's light so that we who were separated by sin, separated from God by sin, might have all our sins forgiven, washed clean by his blood, and brought into a love relationship with the real heavenly Father. When Jesus came into the world, he brought the light of God's glory to a dark world. And when we repent of our sins and receive him by faith, his light fills our lives. And when he fills us, then we become like a lamp turned on in a dark world. And, and the world sees us. Ephesians 5.8, Paul said, read it with me. Ephesians 5.8, For you were once darkness, but now are you light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Who's he talking to? Say me. Me. That's right. He's talking to me. He's talking to you. Walk as children of light. You know the only light we have, folks? It's not the light. Let me tell you something. The light of Donnie Lovett is pretty dim. I've got to tell you, be, be quite honest with you. It's not much about me that's very special, I don't think. I don't have a lot of light to give. The, if there's any light at all shining in Donnie Lovett, it's the light of Jesus. And that's the way I like it. Like John the Baptist said one time, he said, I've got to decrease so he can increase. And folks, the only way for this world to see the light of Jesus is for us to just get hidden, overshadowed by his light. And we've got to take more of us and get, it, and get ourselves toned down so that Jesus can shine brighter. We must display the light of Jesus. Heaven's light to our world because he is the only light that's going to make a difference. Just like the Christmas lights we see, I mean, that they are so beautiful to us. I noticed some. I went through last night. My wife and I were coming back. We had a date last night, and we were coming back home. And husbands, you ought to do that if you're married. You ought to take your wife on a date every now and then. We try to do it once a week. And in our neighborhood, there's so many beautiful lights and blown-up decorations. And I saw, of course, these snowmen. Have y'all noticed all, all the snowmen today? I mean, really, the blow-up snowmen? And at night, they're lit up. You know why they're lit up? Because there's a light in them, okay? It's not that in the daytime, and the air goes out, and the light turns off. What happens to that thing? Right? Then at night, the air comes on, and the light comes on. What happens? It's a great big frosty the snowman. And you know something, folks? It's not us in this flesh as sons and daughters of men that make the difference. It's the light of the Son of God in us that makes the difference. Unless we have the light of Jesus in us, we're just going to be flat. See, We're not going to make much difference in the world. Oh, we might do some good things and then we're going to be forgotten one day. 
But the light of Jesus in us can make an eternal difference because if I let Jesus' light shine in me and it shines so bright that I reach someone else with it and they see the light of Jesus in me and they accept Jesus my Savior, then I have made, or excuse me, God in me has made an eternal difference in the lives of, someone, of others. Now, Joseph had a great privilege in caring for the Son of God. He held heaven's light in his arms. He took his responsibility seriously when Jesus was born. Joseph obeyed, and what did he call his name? Jesus. Say Jesus. Jesus. He cared carefully for heaven's light. What are you doing with it today? Would you bow with me? So this morning, let me ask you a question. You like the old deflated snowman or is there some light and life in you? How do you feel about that? I mean, really. There's some, there might be someone listening to me today. And your life, you feel like you are just deflated. Because there's a lot of things that have happened. And Christmas is one of those things that you'd like to have some Christmas spirit, but that's not the way you feel. You feel like that deflated snowman in the dark. But Jesus can do something about that for you. You just got to get rid of you and get more Jesus in your life. And He wants to. He wants to take over all of you. All, he wants to take over your mind. and your. I mean, it might start with what, what you see and hear every day. You might need to turn off something and open your eyes and ears to God and His Word. And You might need to make worship a real important part of your life. You might want to just examine every nook and cranny of your life and say, now, what part does Jesus have and what part does He not have? When people look at you, what do they see? Now, think about it. You might not be able to see yourself, but look at when people look at you. What do they see? Do they see a dark shell or do they see heaven's light pointing them to the love and truth of Jesus? How are you carrying Jesus to the world? Do you, do you treat Jesus well? Are you careful to make sure His light is shining into the lives of people you meet? Are you very careful with Jesus? I'm sure Joseph was very careful with that little baby. Are you careful with Jesus? With what you say and what you do before others? Are you careful to show people the love of Jesus? If you need Jesus in your heart as your Savior, He wants to come in. And He can, folks, He'll build you up and He will shine through you and you'll be a beacon of hope to people if you'll accept Him in your life and let Him lead you and take control of you. Why don't you pray and say, Jesus, I'm sorry for my sins. I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you rose from the dead. And Jesus... I want you to feel me and shine through me. I want you to shine through me. I want people I know, people I meet, to see Jesus in me. I ask you to forgive me for all my sins. 
Remove them. Come into my heart and life and be my Savior forever. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. If you prayed that prayer, then that's the greatest prayer you can pray, but your faith has to be real, and it will be real if you'll really follow Jesus. If you're really following Jesus, then that faith is real. And if you're not, then it's not real. No matter how many times you pray it, you've got to put legs on that faith, and you have to follow Jesus. Lord, thank you so much for people that might have prayed with me today. Thank you that I could stand here today and just share the word. And God, we just love you. We heard it through, through Tehillah. We hear it through your Holy Spirit and the written word of God. And I pray, Lord, that this world, we, this world is dark. And God, we need to shine some light. I love the Christmas lights. I love to, to see this. But God, I pray that the greatest lights of all will be your people shining for Jesus. God, I pray for that. Lord, turn our nation back to you. Raise us up some men like Josiah that will clean out some mess in America and turn us back to you, Lord. We need to get back to you. And I pray for that. And Lord, that's not going to happen until Christians get serious about walking as children of light. And I pray that we'll do it. And God, I pray that you'll help us encourage each other because we're surrounded by a lot of evil. But God, together, together we can march around some walls and see them come down because... The same Jesus that came is still the same Jesus that saves. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Brother Steve. Stand with us as we sing, O Little Town of Bethlehem. O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see. Go by.